Welcome to the Liberal Europe Podcast, European Liberal Forum Project. I'm your host, Ricard Silvestre. And today I'll be speaking with Moritz Kerner. Moritz, it's an MEP for Renew Europe Group, coming from Germany's FDP. He has several responsibilities at the European Parliament. He's on the Committee on Budgets, Committee on Civil Liberties, Justice and Home Affairs, also in the Delegation for Relations with People's Republic of China. But particularly for this conversation, Moritz was Renew Europe's shadow rapporteur for the rule of law mechanism, which is going to be the topic of our conversation. Moritz is one of the youngest MEPs in European Parliament, but as you will hear by this conversation, he's already one great asset to have fighting for rule of law and liberal values and ideas. And after our conversation, I'll be back to tell you about some of the events organized by ELF for this month of May. I'm here with Moritz Kerner. Moritz, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to our discussion. Oh, it's great to have you here. And this is a particularly important topic we're going to discuss today. Like I said in the introduction, you are the shadow rapporteur for the rule of law mechanism for Renew Europe. And let's start with that, Moritz, because I guess that's one of the questions that most of us Europeans ask, which is, why the need to have an increased existence of mechanisms that will connect, you know, budget and other kind of political and economic decisions to democratic values. So how can we explain that we are regressing in a way in certain countries to this illiberal democracy, uh, misnomer, and then the attacks of the rule of law and how this all connects. So let's start with that. Why are we seeing this more and more? Uh, I, I don't know why we're seeing it, but we are experiencing it. Um, so we see the trend of the rule of law uh, and fundamental rights uh, in Europe, uh, not only in countries like Poland and Hungary, but also um, corruption. We saw the murder uh, of a journalist in, in Malta and in Slovakia. So we have a very difficult trend uh, here, um, and it's, it's uh, eroding our common values. And, mm -hmm. um, we see that, that um, the mechanisms uh, we have in place uh, in the European Union, like the Article 7 procedure, which was originally designed to, to tackle these issues, uh, they do not work. Uh, so we uh, in the European Parliament and especially Reno Europe, we, we fought hard um, for new instruments like the rule of law conditionality I worked on, but also uh, a rule of law um, report um, on, on every country. So we are working on different instruments, um, but the goal is clear. We want uh, to uh, strengthen the rule of law. We want to protect fundamental rights in Europe because, uh, especially as liberals, we are convinced um, that, that freedoms, uh, freedom of the press, uh, independent judiciary, um, that is the cornerstones, or they are the cornerstones uh, for, for our democracy, for our um, living on our society in Europe, and we have to protect it. Indeed. And you mentioned the Article 7, so is it fair to say that at the beginning we were a little naive in thinking that there will be just progress for this kind of harmonious system? And do you think, and this is a trick question, I understand that, but then do you think that even more dramatic changes will have to happen, like, for example, in treaties? Yeah, 
absolutely, uh, you're you're right. I think we 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 never thought, or we always thought, um, when we when we made the Lisbon Treaty, you know, we have to be careful with countries or member states, you know, joining the European Union. We were very strong with the Copenhagen criteria and so on, and we thought, okay, if there is a if a member state is in the European Union, then he will only evolve further to be, you know, even more democratic and so on. And we saw this for the first couple of years, um, uh, but but now the trend is, is reversing and, and we have the situation that countries develop, um, that, they, that we see high levels of corruption still, that we see, uh, in, especially in uh, Hungary, that a country, a member states really developing into an authoritarian regime. and. Um, Nobody was nobody was really prepared for this, especially the European Union, and that's why the Article Seven procedure it's flawed because it's it's uh, you need unanimity. We don't get that. That's pretty clear. And even if we we if we you know the Article Seven procedure, even if we would you know be able to trigger to sanction uh, Hungary, for example, then it would mean you know taking their their voting rights in the council away. That that's you know, we can do when it comes to the treaties. So that's why we've established new uh, uh, systems like the conditionality, like the rule of law conditionality and so on. But we always have to be, you know, within the treaties. And I think um, it's it's really, we have to be very careful um, and have to discuss this uh, in deep, deep, deeply and, and maybe change treaties within uh, the discussions on the Conference of the Future of Europe, because uh, the European Union has to be stronger uh, on its and on its rule of law part, because uh, we cannot allow member states to to really say they want to be an illiberal democracy. Let's stay here for a little longer, because you are inside the machinery. And for people that are outside, you just mentioned one of the roadblocks, which is very important, the Treaty of Lisbon and the needs for unanimity. But what other things are you seeing? So, for example, in discussions, do you see that there's like a high resistance to this kind of proposed change or it's the other way around? There's this dynamic that unavoidably will lead us there. What What's, what's your feeling when you are in Brussels or in Strasbourg? To be honest, I see high resistance because uh, 11 mm. member states already said they don't want to have any treaty change uh, after the conference of, of the future of Europe. That's, that's a big problem, I think, first of all. And second of all, even within the treaties, we fought for this new uh, rule of law conditionality and it was a big success for the European Parliament. But... Um, we saw that Poland and Hungary used their veto to block the, the budget and uh, in the end uh, it was only uh, on a, in a council, uh, uh, so the, the leaders uh, said, okay, uh, you will accept the budget and the rule of law conditionality, but Poland and Hungary uh, went uh, to, to, to the European Court of Justice to, to, to fight this mechanism and we are waiting for the ruling uh, of the court, and the commission is doing nothing. Um, so the, the 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 parliament is again pushing and pushing that now we have this new mechanism, but now we have to use it, and and that will be a struggle. And I think everybody is seeing it. They argue that the ruling of the European Court of Justice is not, you know, to be 
uh, applied in, in Poland because they, th they have a different view on, on judiciary. That's unacceptable and it's, it was unthinkable a few years ago. And now we are in this situation. Um, and the problem is, especially member states are not doing enough to protect the rule of law because in the council, you know, they are sitting there and they are not, they don't want to step on other feet and, and so on. And um, we, we, they all are, care, uh, uh, are, are a little bit, you know, they were frightened by the situation that Poland and Hungary um, blocked and vetoed. Um, and it's, it's always a struggle. And that's why we uh, in the European Parliament are pushing so hard, especially Renew Europe is on the forefront of this. So you see, there is lots of struggles, uh, but I think it's a struggle worth it, absolutely worth it. Especially if I say this maybe as a last uh, thought. In it. I'm a pretty young MEP. Um, we have a lot, lots of young MEPs in Renew Europe. I think that's good because, you know, we want to fight for the future of Europe. I, I really, I'm really scared for Europe because if we let these undermining of rule of law and fundamental rights um, happen again and again. I think we, uh, there's the fear we lose the whole thing. We will undermine the whole idea of Europe. And, and so that's really why we have to, to fight for it. That is a fantastic point. And um, we see very easily not only, you know, what happened with the United Kingdom, but also what we see happening in other countries where if we start giving up uh, some of the core values and core ideas, then the thing just goes completely away. So let's stay with that. And that is, there's, there's this ongoing conversation about how can we have this kind of mechanisms and make leaderships, uh, you know, play by the rules. But then there's people on the ground, there's people in their countries and there are at heart Europeans. I know Poland very well. I know how people think of themselves as part of the European Union. And just the other day, I was listening to Kathleen She, your colleague, and she was saying that in Hungary, exactly the same thing happened. So in your opinion, and you just said, and it was very interesting to hear you that you think yourself as a, you know, a young person in the game, but you are very, very capable. So how do you see this, this tension then? I think it's, it's, it's not a, an opposite thing of the people in these countries. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not a theoretical uh, discussion. It's a real problem if you live in a country where you don't have uh, the independence of judiciary, where you are dependent on, on have, having, you know, um, the government uh, on your side and, and helping you to get a business, for example. You have to have contacts to the government if you're critical of the government. Uh, it's, it may be difficult for you to get a business or a state contract. Um, it's a big problem uh, for people in Poland if uh, fundamental rights uh, for LGBTI uh, persons or for, for, for women's rights are not respected. So I'm thinking of these citizens, of European citizens. That's why we need these mechanisms. And that's why we also thought about the citizens when we talked about this mechanism. Because... Some people say, you know, you cut money for these states, maybe you hurt these citizens. So we don't want to cut the money, we want to hold it back. Uh, we want to say, if you change the situation, if it's safe again to give you the money, because we want to protect the European budget to be, you know, spent in wrong ways and corruption and other things. If you change these problems we 
in an objective way addressed, then of course the money will 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 uh, uh, go back. Of course, uh, and we also protect the final beneficiaries, so the citizens, because we want to try and renew us on the forefront of this. We want to yes. try to maybe give the the uh, execution of the budget. Um, is normally in big funds. It's normally going to the member state, and the member state is the is executing the disbursement of the European money. And um, what we think of in these cases where we may say, you know, we hold money back, we say we can try to give it directly from the European Commission to NGOs, to communities, and so on, uh, and and control it even further. So um, we we are truly thinking uh, of, of the citizens, but we're also thinking about the long-term effects of, a, of an undermined judiciary, and that's why we are fighting so hard. And I, as you mentioned, um, uh, Katalin, uh, because she's a, she's a great colleague, uh, we are fighting in this together because she's coming from the con side, from the, con, uh, uh, the budget for, for, for control, uh, for the committee of uh, control of the budget, and I'm, I'm from the from the budget uh, committee side, and we were fighting in this together. And she was very instrumental in, in always pushing this view uh, that we we have to care about the citizens and we have to protect them. And um, I think that was very very worth very very useful um, to have her within these discussions. Yes, um, you and her and others are, as you said, a young generation, but you're doing a fantastic work and uh, we commend you for that, of course. Now, uh, let's get a little more into, you know, the future. You just mentioned the Conference for the Future of Europe, where these discussions will happen. Where are the next battle lines be drawn? And I hate using a military metaphor here, but... <laughs> But uh, what what do you think, in your opinion, then, what will be the next waves of, you know, not only problems because illiberal democracies, and I really hate this term, but this illiberal democracies, they will continue to try to, you know, torpedo processes. But then there are other, um, you know, dangers and other problems in the horizon. What is your feeling of what, you know, the next years will be? Uh, so first of all, I think your metaphor, your your or military terms are completely right because it's it's fight it's a fight of for the soul uh, of Europe, and uh, um, we have to be very clear about that. So first of all, um, very concrete in the short term, we have to we have to trigger the the conditionality as soon as possible on Poland, on Hungary, also on other states when it comes to a smaller degree on corruption. In the long term, I think we need a more automatic instrument. I think um, about that we, we, we need to be it, make it more independent, um, get, take it away from the political struggles in the council and make it a more independent instrument, maybe even within the uh, ECJ or something. Um, we could talk about uh, something like that to make it, you know, to put it out of these political struggles because Poland and Hungary will always use, like we saw it in the budget, um, that they try to veto something else or and, 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 you know, always use their political leverage to stop the European Union. We have to strengthen civil society and democracy in Europe from the bottom up. 
Um, so the, the citizens' rights and values program, for example, we doubled it within the long-term budget. So we have more money to spend on democracy, education, on civil societies. We really, you know, need to strengthen also democracies. Um, people, you know, democracy is not only a set of rules, but it's, also, it's always lived by the people. You know, democracy needs Democrats. And we have to strengthen the people, we have to, to, to empower them. And we have to use the European strengths like Erasmus and so on, bringing people together, because we have to change this idea that some are arguing for in Poland and Hungary, like rule of law is not something objective, but it's dependent on traditional traditions. This is not true. You know, there can be different justice systems in Europe, and they are very different. But they have to be based on the idea of rule of law, and they have to be based on the idea of an independent uh, judiciary. Uh, and I think we, we need to strengthen, we, we have to, to put more emphasis also on, on this, you know, idea of bottom-up strengthening. And maybe one last thought on this. Um, we see that uh, in Hungary we have election, uh, national election next year. And um, the opposition against Fidesz and, and Orban is, you know, working together. So they are a little bit doing this already. They doing this together. They combine their forces to, 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 to establish a real democracy again. And we also have to support that and, and see that we also need democratic change and people fighting not only in Brussels and in, in the bubble, but also people fighting for democracy. That's what we also need. These are great points, Moritz, and I'm going to put on the show notes all the links that will lead to uh, this, for example, this, this uh, citizens and values yeah. and also for Erasmus, because one thing and and of course, of course, I'm sure you agree with that. The more information, the more sharing and the more people see how it should work and when it works well, how it serves the population. I think that, of course, makes a, a great difference. Now, my question to you is then, do you see the other way around, which is there's this protectionism and you're just saying that there are difference um, in justice systems, which is absolutely normal. But is there a protectionism that can go over the generational gap where people think, well, it's always been like this. And even if it changes, well, the changes always changes like this. For example, you just mentioned corruption. And in Portugal, we do suffer a lot because of, of that in the past. And then we had to make a big effort to change. So again, all these changes, you think that younger generations will be leading the process and you just presented yourself as a young man? I think, of course, it's very important that the younger generation, um, you know, steps in and, 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 and take care of that because, you know, it's, it's our future. Um, I'm, a, I'm a, you know, one of the youngest members of the parliament and I always, you know, it's always like even if you're young or something like this, I think it's, you know, it's a strength. We need, um, um, we need to bring together all the generations. Uh, I never thought of mm -hmm. me, you know, saying, you know, older people or more experienced people, uh, you know, cannot handle this. <laughs> but the thing is, we need both. We need the experience and we need 
new ideas and some new new strengths. And um, uh, I think I always thought about politics in a way that we bring people together and that we move forward. And um, maybe some, of course, maybe we see some some things we maybe see a little bit clearer because we say no, uh, we cannot accept this anymore. But to be honest, there are also other great, experienced colleagues. Like I, 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 this was one of the, I think my 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 biggest you know experiences in the European Parliament when we were fighting for this uh, rule of law mechanism. We were always consulting with very experienced MEPs, so like uh, Sophia Infeld or or Guy mm -hmm. Verhofstadt and so on. And you know, to be honest, you know, Guy Verhofstadt has more power and more you know, ideas and things in his little finger than, than other maybe young, young uh, <laughs> So it's always about experiences, about bringing also together young and old and, and using also the experience and maybe some, some new uh, ideas. And, and, and that is, I think, maybe one strength of Renew Europe. Um, that we bring this together, the experiences and or the experience and and also maybe some new ideas. Um, and uh, it's in in our group. It's never like you're too young or you're too old, but it's you know we fight together. And I think that's the way we we bring it forward. Well, you're being modest. I've been I've been following your work and you're doing a fantastic uh, job here uh, in this particular point. So. Tell people where they can follow not only your work, but also your thoughts. I know you're on Twitter, uh, so let us yeah. know what is your digital uh, footprint. So I, I try to be everywhere, <laughs> nearly everywhere. Uh, so, <laughs> so you can follow me on Twitter, on Instagram, uh, Facebook, of course. Um, I also I'm a little bit used to doing podcasts. Podcast. Uh, it's called Europe, We Have to Talk, but it's in German. Um, so mm -hmm. if, you, if you speak German, uh, you can follow my podcast or, or listen to my podcast. Um, and I'm trying well, let to... Me just, yeah. Let me just interrupt you, Moritz. I, I'm very jealous of that title. That's a great title. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> you can use it because I, 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 I only use it in German. So it's, it's, I think it's still free in English. But it's a, I'm going to yeah. change the name of this podcast. Uh, we have to talk about uh, European values and ideas. Yeah, that's 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 a good idea. Yeah, so so you can follow me there everywhere, and I try to use as much social media as possible uh, because um, I think Europe is. We have to be better in European politics and explaining and um, showing what we're doing all the all the time. Um, because for many citizens, what's happening in Brussels is like you know. Uh, woo, uh, it, it's a Brussels bubble and something happens there. And I think we have to be more open, transparent and explaining what we are doing there and showing people what we're doing and showing also, I think that's really important, how much we struggle and how, how much we also fight uh, for for good outcome. And uh, right, so that's really important for me. And I think uh, social media and podcasts and so on, that's a good way to, to explain more, show more, and that's why I try to do it. So I'm really happy if you follow me uh, there, and also maybe leave a comment. Or that's also a good thing. You can you have can you can have dialogue and, and discussions there. That's also great. 
Well, it's been a privilege to have you on this podcast, and I'm going to thank you so much uh, the time that you spend talking to me about this. I'm going to ask you to come back because this is an ongoing struggle and an ongoing effort. But for now, thank you so much, uh, Moritz, to talk to me. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure for me. I'm back just to remind you that you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and Spotify. And if you like it, give us a five-star review. In that way, you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. And now for some of the events organized by Elf for this month of May. On the 28th of May, based in Belgium, but it's going to be online, we have Elf Event, Hackathon, a European industrial policy, preparing the ground for innovation. The spread of COVID-19 has not only led to a global public health emergency, but will also lead to unprecedented shock on the economies and employment in Europe and around the world. In response, European governments and the EU have launched unprecedented financial support packages to mitigate these shocks. However, more action is needed for a long-term recovery and growth of the European economy. Innovation will be a key driver in generating this growth and in creating new European success stories in the future. In a climate where society expects to become increasingly risk-adverse, liberals play an important role in pushing for innovative thinking and experimental approach. With this hackathon, we want to compare different cultures of innovation in the industrial sector and in the digital age around Europe. Also on the 28th of May, Based in Belgium, it's going to be across Europe, we have Peer-to-Peer Summer Academy. In a time of populism, nationalism and radical movements, politicians tend to be on the spotlight. There seem to be important fighters for liberal values and European integration. P2P Summer Academy is a peer-to-peer capacity building space for liberal think tanks and foundations. It will support the rethinking activities, evaluating work, learning new skills and how to better communicate with an audience. It'll be a space for multifaceted development, especially for smaller organizations. To know about this event, you just have to go to liberalforum.eu forward slash events. And this is all for now, but I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Until then, let's keep making the world a better place. The Liberal Europe podcast It's organized by the European Liberal Forum with the support of Movimento Liberal Social in Portugal. This podcast is co-founded by the European Parliament, and the European Parliament is not responsible for the contents of this podcast or any news that may be made of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum.